1 Corinthians 10 and uh, verse 14. Let's hear God's word. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then, that the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever is sold in the shambles, that is, meat market, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that for which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Amen. May God bless his word to us. Let's pray for the preaching now. Gracious God of heaven, we come to hear a word preached, and we pray for divine help. This is a most difficult doctrine, and so we ask that the man who preaches would in no way preach according to the wisdom of man but instead according to the mind and power of God. And we pray that our hearts would be open and ready as we survey the scriptures, not just this text, but others, that we would better know how to serve thee as the word is preached. So help the minister so that he may help thy people walk in faithfulness with the Lord, not falling into licentiousness, but also not having their conscience bound and taken captive by things that they ought not be taken captive by. And so, Father, we pray that thou wouldst do these things and help me speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in our series on Christian liberty or biblical liberty, we had started a discourse on uh, liberty of conscience. Liberty of conscience. And last time we laid the groundwork and we saw how our conscience is held captive to the word of God. Our conscience has to be held captive to the Lord of the conscience, who is Jesus Christ only. Uh, all others who seek to impose upon our conscience, whether they be a pastor or a pope or a politician, is to be resisted. We are to stand fast in the liberty that Christ has given us in this area. We are to be freed in our conscience to serve the Lord above all. We are to serve Christ out of faith, out of a pure conscience. And with that foundation set, we continue our discourse on liberty of conscience, and we consider the liberty we have in things that are called indifferent or adiaphora. You might have heard that term. I'll define it a little bit later. And the reason we must consider this is the church has been often torn apart in controversies because we have not studied this doctrine or known it well. Many have had their consciences shackled to things that it ought not be shackled to. And they've come to believe that to use something indifferent is in itself 
inherently sinful. Now, just to put some uh, feet to the doctrine, to give you an example, in the last century, perhaps nothing more controversially, but in terms of alcohol. Right, with the temperance movement and rampant drunkenness, we understand it was terrible sin in the early 20th century. It had gotten to the point, though, that Christians, even churches, had started to call alcohol in itself sinful. As though alcohol in itself is sinful. Instead of seeing that alcohol, like all created things, is actually indifferent. It's the misuse of alcohol where it becomes drunkenness is what the Bible preaches against. And that is absolutely and totally prohibited to us, is the use of al- misuse of alcohol. But why is it, and this is what we'll consider why in a portion of the sermon, why is it that alcohol is a thing indifferent? What makes it truly indifferent? And here's just something to sort of whet your appetite, so to speak. It's because I am free not just to partake of it, but I am also free not to partake of it. It is a thing indifferent. If I go to my grave outside of the Lord's Supper, never taking wine, I have not sinned before God. That's what makes it indifferent. On the other hand, if I do take it and I don't indulge in it sinfully, then I also am uh, not sinning before God. That's what makes it indifferent. And in that, actually, I think it's quite interesting how the pendulum in Reformed churches has quite often shifted on things indifferent. Because there has been a constraint on people's consciences on the misuse of indifferent things, the pendulum swings in the other way, such that there are sectors of the Reformed Church where if you don't actually partake of alcohol, people will look at you as a sinner. Right? If you don't go to the parties where alcohol is free-flowing, uh, they would say, well, if you don't drink with us, you're not using your Christian liberty. A sort of doctrine of use it or lose it which is actually not the doctrine of Christian liberty. That is now binding your conscience in a totally different direction. No, I am completely at liberty, outside of the sacrament, which we'll touch on later, to drink alcohol or not drink alcohol. And that's what makes it a matter of Christian liberty. That's a liberty, and I say this as one I'm preaching on alcohol right now for this moment. I'm one who exercises that liberty to not drink virtually every day of my life. I'm free to take it. I'm also free not to take it. You can say similar things in other areas that are called adiaphora. Uh, The use of a smartphone and the non-use of a smartphone. Things indifferent. You're not required to abstain and you're not required to indulge. Same goes for whether you decide to become a vegetarian or eat meat or a whole host of other matters. The Lord has left in these areas our conscience free, whether we do use them or not. However, I'll come back to something I said earlier. With that liberty, we find things that are indifferent can become unlawful to us. Which means we must test everything we do according to the circumstance of using these things and even the intent and aim of using these things. Uh, The avoidance of scandal at times as well will regulate outside of worship whether we take of something that is truly uh, part of Christian liberty. And fundamentally, we'll see, and this is the, one of the most glorious texts here in the Bible, isn't it? Our liberty to use indifferent things is regulated by Scripture, and especially the one front and center in our text. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And that's the great test of things indifferent. Can I truly, honestly, before the Lord, use this thing to the glory of God? Well, with such thoughts before us, our theme is liberty and matters indifferent, liberty and matters indifferent, and we'll divide our sermon into three headings. The order is a little different than on your bulletin, Um, but first, definition of indifferent things, second, right use of indifferent things, and third, worship and indifferent things. And we'll see how far we get. Um, There may be too much material for tonight. First, uh, definition of indifferent things. Well, in our chapter, the Apostle Paul continues a controversy that began in chapter 8. I know we haven't gone through this book uh, chapter by chapter. But in that chapter, the question was raised of what to do with eating meat offered to idols. And the pertinent question is, uh, and it comes into this text, can the Christian eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? 
And the answer that these chapters give is actually this. It depends. It depends. And this is sort of already bringing us into the doctrine of indifferent things. Sometimes it is sinful, such as when uh, the meat is being offered as a sacrifice in the temple of a pagan god. And then it would be sinful to partake of that meat. You would be communing with devils. And that's what uh, Paul says in verses 20 and 21 of our text here, that we cannot partake both of the Lord's table to have communion with Christ and then partake of the table of demons in their ritual sacrifice. He says to have fellowship with devils. In verse 22, because God is a jealous God, we would be provoking him to jealousy if we did that because we are partaking of a ritual sacrifice. And so the meat being used in a ceremony in that time or in the temple of this pagan god, it would be sinful to partake. It would be fellowshipping with devils at their table. And as we saw in verse 14, which sort of brings this, starts this whole discourse, wherefore my dearly beloved flee from idolatry. Flee from anything that has the sniff or aroma of idolatry. However, at other times in this chapter, the apostle says that very same meat, it would not be sinful to partake of. The very same meat even after it was sacrificed to an idol. And when is that circumstance? Well, uh, the apostle says, when it is sold at the meat market, which is what the King James translates shambles in verse 25. So after these uh, pagan rituals, often the meat was sold for a common use in the meat market. And Christians, like anybody else, can go and purchase this meat uh, and use it for food. So from that, we can learn the principle of things indifferent from the meat in the text. Meat, the Apostle Paul is showing us, is something indifferent in itself. In itself, it is indifferent. It can be sinful to use it, or it can be not sinful to use it. Now, if you want a definition for something indifferent, since I've been using that term uh, all this time, a definition would be something that uh, is in itself morally indifferent, neither good nor evil. So a thing indifferent is a thing that is morally neutral. In itself, it is not good or evil. Uh, a philosophical term, a Greek word that communicates the exact same definition is adiaphora. And so you'll sometimes hear Christians speak of it that way. That's a Greek philosophical term. Something morally indifferent in itself, neither good nor evil. So with me, here's an object. In itself, it is not good or evil. And that's an important concept for us to take a hold of in indifferent things. Because there are many Christians who have sort of subscribed to a version, uh, a neo-version of Gnosticism, that says that the matter itself can be evil. Like something can have the properties that make it in itself evil. For instance, there is nothing inherently sinful about alcohol. Alcohol itself as a substance is indifferent, right? The problem which occurs is man, man, sinner, who encounters alcohol and the abuse of it, right? Even alcohol has medicinal purposes as well, right? So one man can use it to get drunk. One man can use it as medicine, right? The thing itself is indifferent. The problem uh, and the blessing can come on man's use of it. That's a vital distinction to make, brethren, Consider verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. See, Paul says all things are lawful for him. The thing itself is not intrinsically evil. If I, um, if I possess a particular object or item, it doesn't make me evil by the touching of it. There are some religions who kind of have that, like sin is communicated through material objects. That's not the case at all, biblically. Circumstances may arise where the use of it might become sinful. You know, the aforementioned partaking of something indifferent, the meat, ritualistically is sin. But partake of that very same meat that had been used in a ritual at the meat market, not sin. Now, Paul will give us rules of expediency and edification we'll consider in the second heading. Uh, it'll teach us how to lawfully use indifferent things, but we'll get to that shortly. Uh, so I'll come back to that. That said, in verse 25, we read, whatever is sold in the shambles, uh, meat market, that eat, asking no conscience for 
conscience sake, question for conscience sake. We'll come to this as well in, in Rules for Expediency and maybe in the next um, in the next sermon more fully. But he says it is actually probably best for your conscience to not even consider the origin of the meat, lest you start twisting yourself in knots, right? Like we can become, uh, what's, what does the Bible say, overly wise, right? And we can start to imagine things are sin that are not sin, and we can start to be perplexed in uh, knowing the origin of an item. I think that has a lot of applications, and we might need to consider and dwell on that another time when it comes to the producing of goods and our use of them. Uh, sometimes it's better just not to know the origin of it, lest you become overly wise in your eyes. But uh, you might forget that you're at liberty to eat the, this meat, because the meat in the market is not being sold as an idolatrous or religious item, and so you are free to buy it and eat it as common food. So while it is a sin to use indifferent things idolatrously, it is no sin even after it is used by others idolatrously for it to be used in a righteous manner. I think that's a helpful distinction the apostle makes. Then in verse 26, the apostle says, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I wonder if any of our children know where that comes from. But that's Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Why does Paul cite it? To show you all things belong to the good Lord. Right? All things belong to him. They're in his ownership. And so how can they intrinsically be evil? Right? All the things that he has made are not evil in themselves uh, as things. They are indifferent. In fact, as we think on the goodness of the Lord, I started that thought, he made all things, didn't he, for the children of God to enjoy. Like in Psalm 104, 15, you think of these indifferent things. And wine that maketh glad the heart of man, and oil to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. See, he made things for our blessing. That's the benevolence of God, that though we are sinners, he still gives good gifts to the children of men. And all are to be received with thanksgiving. First Timothy 4, 4 through 5, for every creature of God is what? Good. So every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. That's why we often write children in Christian homes. We pray before the meal. These things are sanctified by prayer and often the word, right? Every creature of God is good and sanctified by his ordinances. Romans 14, 14, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Do you see that, brethren? There is nothing unclean of itself. It's what man does with it. That's a key verse in doing away with the modern Gnostic idea that some things are evil in themselves. You remember what Jesus said in Mark 7, 21 through 23, and we'll come back to Mark 7 later, showing that things outside of us do not defile, but what is inside of us defiles. For, for, um, for from within, out of the heart of men, evil thoughts proceed, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, covetings, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, railing, pride, foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. We're not defiled by, I'm not defiled by touching this pulpit. Things from without do not defile me. It's my own wicked, sinful heart that does it. That's why we need a savior that can save us, save our souls from the evil within. So let's take a, a knife. Here's another example. I've been using alcohol a lot and a meat, but here's an object that's indifferent. Some people don't think so. And this will actually have bearing on other weapons, won't it? Just because it has an edge and can cut does not make it an evil object. The use of it can be good to skin an animal for food, can't it? But it can also be evil to the use of it, that is, to murder a man in cold blood. You see, the, the object itself is indifferent. The problem is men, isn't it? This is the important concept to grasp about indifferent things. The use of something indifferent by man is what leads to either good or evil. Man is the moral agent. The thoughts and intents even of man using an object will determine whether use of something is good or evil. Um, that may 
be something that you need to grapple with, but man is the moral agent. Without understanding this concept, you will find men then make blanket prohibitions over things that will bind your conscience. Right? You think about this, it'll rob the liberty that God has given you to use all good things that he has made. And that is what Christ will ch uh, chastise the Pharisees for in Mark 7, as we'll consider that a bit later. But even when you think of the, the knife, or you think of a gun, or other things, right? The use of them is what will make uh, something come out of it, good or evil. The thing itself, you know, a gun in itself, you know, you see some people who, who won't even want to touch it, right? Not because they're afraid they'll, they'll fire it off, but it's almost like to touch it will make me uh, a sinner. That's not the doctrine of the Bible. So with that, then let's consider the right use of indifferent things. So how do we rightly use all things? Because we've considered that the things in themselves are not good or evil. The thoughts and intents of the heart is where it begins, obviously, as Christ has already showed us. And the Bible lays down some rules on how to rightly use indifferent things. But there is one simple rule that is the master rule. You must first make sure that what you intend to do with anything is not prohibited by the word of God. It's the Bible, right? We must know the Bible in order to know how to rightly use all things to the glory of God. For instance, here's an example. Um, dining out is rather an indifferent matter most of the time. Today, it wouldn't be a matter indifferent as it's the Sabbath day. But Monday through Saturday, it would be indifferent. Also, it wouldn't be indifferent if I were deeply in debt. Right? There are rules in the word of God that will tell you whether something is truly indifferent. We must take in all the counsel of God Otherwise, right, you think of what, what's, what's another sin we often ignore, even in the ministry, gluttony, right? That is a use of something indifferent that becomes sinful. We don't say food itself is evil. In fact, food is good when it is used in a right manner. So uh, here's another example, and maybe these things are pertinent. It'll help cement the doctrine. Uh, I might think I have liberty, right, to wear whatever clothes I want. Clothes in themselves are a matter indifferent. But when it starts to, to dress a man or dress a woman, now there can actually be a moral problem, can't there? Because the word of God says a man is to wear what appertaineth to a man. And the word of God says that a woman is to wear what appertaineth to a woman. In addition, both sexes are to be modestly dressed, aren't they? Uh, on that point, and... Maybe this is a little excursion, but in our society, I think it must be said. Children, especially for you, think about what you wear. Especially if you go to places like pools, swimming pools, and public pools. It's often shameful what people, even Christian people, will wear. It's like you're wearing underwear. If that, when you're going outside. And that is where it has now transgressed. Uh, it has, you know, your so-called liberty is no liberty at all. You don't have the liberty to do those things within different things. The Bible says that there are many things as well. Uh, I mentioned gluttony as well, food, right? Uh, but it can even become idolatrous. Their God is their belly, as the Bible says, right? So Paul, the apostle, will say that I am not to be mastered by anything, even lawful things, right? When they master you, it has become an idol to you. And that's where we have to make sure we never go. So that's the master rule for things indifferent. Check the Bible on how to use them. Now, in addition, Gillespie has coalesced out of the Bible three helpful rules. Two of them actually come from our chapter, which is why I'm using this, whereby we may use indifferent things in a lawful and a righteous way. You'll find them in part four, chapter three, in a dispute against the English popish ceremonies, a very helpful work on things of conscience, especially. And I'm going to use his framework to present this to you because I could scarcely improve on it if I tried. The very first of the three rules is what he calls the rule of piety, the rule of piety. Verse 31, children, I hope by now most of you have memorized as it is the foundation of the very first question of your shorter catechism, isn't it? Uh, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, what? Do all to the glory of God. That is the rule of piety. All that we do, 
must be to the glory of God in the use of indifferent things. Indifferent things must be used to the glory of God. We are not on a holiday when we use indifferent things. God still regulates our life in the use of these things. Our whole life is to be oriented around the glory of God. Colossians 3.17, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Very helpful text that goes hand in hand with verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or you wear an outfit or you go out to a show, you must ask, can I do this thing in the name of the Lord Jesus and for the glory of God? That is a fundamental test, isn't it? I think sometimes we're afraid to even ask the question. And that's the problem. We're afraid to even ask, can I do this thing? And we just say, well, I must have liberty. And we don't even ask the question, can I honestly say this would be to the glory of God? That's a fundamental test. If this is something that glorifies God, let me say I will do it. Otherwise, even if it is a thing indifferent and cannot be done to the glory of God, I will not do it. Can I drink wine? Absolutely. Do I think I can drink wine when I am in a drinking party where people are getting, um, who are falling over on their face? Do I think that would be to the glory of God? You see, it's a fundamental question, isn't it? Can I give glory to God in it? In fact, I might say if I were in such an environment, I need to leave this place. One very helpful way you can check your heart in the use of indifferent things is prayer. All things are sanctified by the word and prayer, isn't it? Now, how many times can you honestly go before the Lord and say, Oh Lord, would you bless my use of this? See, if you are even hesitant to pray that, you probably ought not do it. Right? If you can engage in something without praying over it in good conscience like you do with your meal... I think that can serve to show you that the thing is not so, um, not so good to do at the time, even if the thing is a thing indifferent. So the rule of piety is the very first rule. We are to see if we can do it to the glory of God. The second rule is called the rule of charity. And in that, if scandal were to arise from my use of something indifferent, I ought not do it. I ought to lay my liberty aside to uh, use something indifferent. I should put it aside. In verse 23, we read, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Uh, Romans 14, 21, It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. The fundamental rule here is that we need to make sure that all things we do before others are for the edification, that is, for the building up of our brethren. And we are not to um, be the occasion of stumbling or tearing down of another through the things indifferent, right? Um, you know, sometimes the issue is, if, if you can't lay aside something indifferent, again, I'm not talking about the worship of God, we'll get to that later. If you cannot lay aside something that is truly indifferent, right, for a moment, for the sake of your brother, or your sister, I would ask if it truly is something indifferent to you or something necessary. See, you know you actually have liberty, right? What is liberty in this arena? It's actually me being able to say, I can walk away from this thing. Otherwise, you actually are captive to the thing. That's why Paul says he will not be mastered by anything. right? And when I think in the economy of things that are good and holy... I'm just going to use wine for a moment. If wine makes my brother stumble, am I really going to elevate my drinking of wine before him over his soul? Right? And that's the question really the Bible asks. Is that really where our heart is and our mind is on the things that have value? Are we so spiritual in that way? I understand if the brother has a problem with or sister has a problem with what the word says on these things, we can be patient and instruct them and bring them along. However, and again, this is not matters of worship. I want to be clear on that. This is just in our day-to-day -day interactions with folks. We have to keep the, the rule of charity. 
If you have liberty, you can voluntarily lay it aside. And that is the rule of charity. The third rule is called the rule of purity, which deals with peace of conscience. Now, we must be persuaded that something is lawful to use before using it. Our conscience has to be persuaded before we do anything. Romans 14.5 says, To him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. That's a staggering thought, isn't it? That if uh, you partake of something that you are, you know, even wrongly, right? You're wrongly thinking is unclean. You are not to partake of it. Until your conscience can be persuaded, it is something to partake of. Again, this is not matters of worship. Um, you are not to use it unless you're certain of the lawlessness of the thing. If you're not convinced that the Lord is pleased with you using something, you're not to use it, then don't use it. Romans 14, 23, He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Right? Everything we do must be done out of faith. Um, this is what's the great evil, wasn't it, of making men the lords of our conscience that we thought about. We have to be persuaded. Our conscience has to be bound to the word of God. That's the rule of purity. And I won't spend much more time on that, um, as I think we've spoken on such things before. But if you can keep to these three rules in the use of things indifferent, then not only is the use of them lawful, but also expedient and helpful. Right? So let's think of some examples, and maybe that'll help you. You know, music in itself is indifferent. But what about ingesting music that is unrighteous in content? Does that not veer away from these rules that we have seen in the word of God? Can I really listen to it to the glory of God under the rule of piety? No. When the name of God is being blasphemed and unrighteous, wicked, lewd acts are being spoken of in the music, is it really a thing indifferent? Maybe you have an idea or you have no idea how many Christians will say it's a thing indifferent. It is absolutely not a thing indifferent. Can I really, really say with music that is virtually pornographic that I can listen to this to the glory of God? I'm not talking about the form of the music. I'm talking about the lyrics and everything else. No, absolutely not. You have no liberty to do such a thing. You can run through that exercise in all things people consider indifferent, especially the entertainment we often imbibe that is all around us. Motion pictures are not in themselves a bad thing. They're a documentary, they're historical surveys, they're stories that are being told. But what happens if they're being used with content that is debauched and blasphemous? You can hardly watch even a children's show without it being blasphemous anymore. Do I really have, and maybe this is a little more painful in our entertainment-driven society, do you really think, Christian, you have freedom to use it when the name of God is blasphemed? Can I say, let this blasphemy be to the glory of God? What about things like clothing? If my clothing will cause a brother or sister to stumble under the rule of charity, do I have freedom to wear something like that? Circumstances may also dictate, right, where I can wear said clothing. So these things are all part and parcel of our wisdom. I can wear things in the privacy of my own home that I cannot wear in public and be a scandal or a stumbling block. I have the freedom to wear shorts and flip-flops at home, but I would dare not wear it while preaching. For it would violate the law of charity in that way. You know, many would be offended, wouldn't they? And it would serve as a distraction from the word of God in our society. It would not be dignified either and would not serve the glory of God. I'm not dictating a certain kind of dress for the minister, but there has to be something that conveys the dignity of the word of God as it is preached. As you have heard from the word, not all things are expedient, not all things edify, and not all things are helpful in these ways. And this understanding of liberty will really blow away the broader current evangelical church's understanding of Christian liberty, of things adiaphora. And often, even in modern Reformed churches, you will be called things like a Puritan, if you hold to this, won't you? But these are just simple rules that come out of the Word of God. I hope it's the Scripture that communicates these things to you. 
that whatever you do, you do to the glory of God. You're not to cause stumbling and so on. You know, even when you think on being called a Puritan, is that such a bad thing really, brethren? If you're seeking to honor God out of a pure conscience, captive to the word of God out of a pure heart, let them call us Puritan or whatever else. You know, Calvin was absolutely right when he wrote in the Institutes, the moment any mention is made of Christian liberty, lust begins to boil or insane commotions arise if a speedy restraint is not laid on those licentious spirits by whom the best things are perverted into the worst. For they either under pretext of this liberty shake off all obedience to God and break out into unbridled licentiousness or they feel indignant. How about that? Thinking that all choice, order, and restraint are abolished. It's almost like he's looking at the church circa 21st century, isn't he? You find that all over the place today. I have the liberty, I have liberty to do anything. Who are you to tell me what not to do? It's almost become uh, the motto of 21st century Christianity because there is no scrutiny of what the word of God has to say. And on the other hand, there are those in fundamentalist Christian circles, often good brothers and sisters, who call it licentious to partake of those things the Lord has called good. And we must not draw into that trap either. And you can have a false sense of holiness, brethren, by calling things unclean that are not unclean at all. And the problem with that is you'll neglect your heart, which is where holiness truly ought to be wrought, not in the things external. So the Lord has given us a great many things to enjoy. Let no man bind your conscience into thinking things indifferent are in themselves sinful if God has given them to us for our blessing and we can use them for his glory out of a conscience captive to the word of God. And one other rule we'll investigate more fully when we turn to the liberty we have in the church in an upcoming sermon, but it's good to just mention now, is no man has the authority to force you to perform anything that is truly indifferent or to abstain from it. While it might be fine for you or me to drink wine or not drink wine, I cannot by any authority compel you to do so or not do so. That's an abuse of power. We are not lords over you and things indifferent, especially, but helpers of your joy. So we'll consider the authority of the church and such things in a future sermon. That's a good segue to our final heading, worship and indifferent things, in which we have to understand that there are limits in worship on matters indifferent. And it is this doctrine of things indifferent that has greatly been abused in the worship of God. Greatly so. You know, some men want to say that to make us adopt even like postures, postures in worship, like in the receiving of the Lord's Supper, kneeling, right, is a matter of indifference. And that's not true at all. Some men want to say that the observance of ceremonies are matters of indifference. Some men might say what we use for the elements of the Lord's Supper or baptism is a matter of indifference. What we want to use, we can use. But such things are not the case at all. You know, in 1 Corinthians 10, it actually shows that when things indifferent intersect worship, they cease to be indifferent when they take on religious, religious significance. Meat is indifferent in the market, but meat is not indifferent in worship. In the worship of God, the elements of worship are regulated completely by God. You know, man is quite good at this, taking what is indifferent outside of worship and giving them religious significance. You might remember the Pharisees were in the habit of doing such a thing. Um, you read of them binding on God's people things that would ordinarily be indifferent in places like Mark 7, and Jesus excoriates them, absolutely excoriates them. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. To wash a cup or a pot is ordinarily a thing indifferent. Do it or do not do it. There's some wisdom, obviously, in it. But when it intrudes into the worship of God, when it is given religious significance, even outside of what you might call called worship, when you give it religious significance, then it is no longer a thing indifferent. And that's what we absolutely must be clear on. 
God's worship and the religious duties he expects of us in all of life is not to be tampered with. We do what God says to do and how he says to do it, and we don't intrude upon the public worship of God especially. Otherwise, we would be laying aside the commandments of God for the doctrines and commandments of men. And the category of indifference can absolutely not be used for worship. Absolutely not. Just as the Pharisees did with washing, as soon as you give religious significance, a thing ceases to be indifferent. And then it becomes necessary. Do you see that? You put religious significance on something, it becomes necessary. It's no longer indifferent. Everything in worship must be found in the word and performed as the word would have us. It's tightly regulated. Some concrete examples. We cannot say the contents of the cup is a matter indifferent. We cannot say that the water of baptism is indifferent either. Water, wine, bread. These are the elements the Lord has said to use, and that is what the church uses. We don't get to choose. It's not essential oils, Kool-Aid, and Doritos. That is not what the Lord has given. These are things that are indifferent, mostly outside of worship. But you don't bring them into worship. They're not indifferent. The individual Christian as well has no claim over adiaphora of their own personal conscience in worship either. You cannot say, brethren, well, I'm not convinced yet that, you know, it's, uh, it's good to hear the word of God preached, so I won't do that. Right? That is not something that the Lord has said you're at liberty to do. Or I have the liberty to make my minister, you know, minister, I made my profession of faith, I'm ready to be baptized, but I want you to use oil instead of water. Because that's really what my conscience feels is right. no. It's not indifferent. Or I have the liberty to make my church use something other than wine in the supper because I don't want wine. We don't have that liberty. These are not indifferent things in the worship of God. Even postures are not indifferent in the worship of God. You know, we we sit around a table as the Lord's disciples do. Why do we not kneel? Because we do not worship the elements as Rome does. It's not indifferent, our posture in that way. It has religious significance, doesn't it? We sit at a table because it does have religious significance. We don't kneel because that has religious significance and we want nothing to do with it. I tell you to stand for prayer and I'm able to do that because that is a posture for corporate prayer in the Bible. Not the only posture, mind you, but it is a biblical one. But church power cannot make you do something that is indifferent in worship, that is truly indifferent in worship. For instance, we sing the praises of God Some of you will use the psalm books that are provided. Some of you will use uh, your phone, perhaps. Uh, Maybe some of you will bring one uh, psalm book from home um, or something else. That is truly a matter of indifference. Now, do I have the power to tell you, and sometimes it's not wise children to use your smartphone in worship if you have no self-control, right? But do I have the power to tell you, you must use these particular psalm books on the rack outside and nothing else? No. Now I am veering into superstition, aren't I? As though these are holy relics out there that you must use and have religious significance. Um, The end of misuse of indifferent things is superstition and idolatry, brethren. It is importing religious significance where God has not given significance. Uh, The church as well, and Gillespie, of course, is very good on this, cannot create new ceremonies, saying days are things of indifference. Many will say that today, that these are things of adiaphora, but it is not, brethren. (laughs) Is there no religious significance to saying Jesus Christ was born on this day or another day? Are you telling me there's no religious significance there? There absolutely is. Let's not play games. Once we play with adiaphora that way, not only do we bind consciences, now everybody, many think that Jesus was born on a certain day, but we also lead to superstition and idolatry. There's nothing indifferent, right, that suddenly has religious significance that will have a good end. The history of the church proves it. And I also want you to remember the limit of church power. Even if we granted such things were indifferent, which they are not, 
Church authorities, as I said earlier, cannot make you observe something indifferent. Like I can say, every member of Dallas RP must have a glass of wine with dinner every night. It would cease to be indifferent. I'm binding your conscience. You know, it's sleight of hand if they make you do something indifferent in the name of liberty. That's really just a parlor trick, right? Or else we would be like Pharisees telling us we must wash the outside of the cup or whatever else in, in, in the worship of God or to have these things have religious significance when God has never said such a thing. Thing is, brethren, the secret of religion is this. Men actually like Pharisees when the Pharisees do the things they like. But it is Pharisaism nonetheless. Just because you like a certain species of Pharisaism does not make it any less Pharisaism. Right? We have to get that straight, brethren. Let it sink in. Pharisaism is Pharisaism whether you like the rules that they make or not. You know, I imagine perhaps many at the time of Christ liked the washing of cups and pots in some sort of religious thing. Maybe it makes them feel particularly holy because that's what these things do, don't they? Oh, I am a, I'm a holy person. I do these things in the name of God. And maybe when Jesus Christ comes around and says, no, doctrines and commandments of men, you have to wonder how many recoiled who were not just literal Pharisees. But I like it. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel closer to God when I do these things. Pharisaism, Pharisaism. You worship me in vain. No liberty to do it. So I would have you remember our first sermon three weeks ago where I said from the word of God in Galatians 5, we are prone to bondage in the flesh. Well, I would refer you to our gospel worship series on uh, this matter when it comes to a deeper consideration. But I wanted to make sure you understood the category of indifference vanishes in the worship of God because every indifferent thing will take on religious significance when they are mandated. The closest category, you've heard it before, we have to things indifferent are circumstances of worship. Um, Circumstances have no religious significance at all. They enable us to worship God as in 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently and in order, right? What time we meet is a circumstance. There's no religious significance. Uh, It's not that 10.30 a.m. and 2.15 p.m. are holy hours, right? It's being done so that we can meet and do all things decently and in order. I have a pulpit here, but that's just to hold my books and my notes. And if I were to import religious uh, significance, here's the ark, here's something like that, then it would be absolutely be sinful. You know, Wednesday night, I use a music stand when I preach, right? It's a thing indifferent. It's a, it's a circumstance rather of worship. You know, whether I use it or not, it doesn't have any religious significance. In worship, these things are called circumstances. I preached an entire sermon on that point. You can refer to that sermon on this idea. But the point is this. In the worship of God, we cannot subvert God's worship by claiming we are adding things or taking them away due to adiaphora, things indifferent. We'll have to consider the limits of church power. Our time is about up in another sermon. But the intersection of church authority and indifferent matters is a very, very important one we will have to consider. Many times church leaders say they are at liberty to legislate in indifferent matters when they really have no or perhaps limited power to legislate in indifferent matters and they don't understand the limits placed on church councils by the Lord. We'll have to wait for another time. This is probably, as I mentioned, a good place to close. And I know this has been a lot probably for a sermon and a lot of this is ventured into or veered into lecture territory. I'm quite aware of that, but these are vital matters for our conscience. Do not let anyone rob your liberty in indifferent matters. Know how to use your liberty righteously with those three rules of purity, uh, charity, and um, piety. Piety actually being the first. Whatever you do, right, make sure you can do it out of a good conscience, seeking the glory of God, avoiding scandal, or else don't do it. If you cannot pray, as I said, for God's blessing on something in the circumstance by which you are seeking to use it, 
then don't do it. Don't do it. For whatever is not of faith is sin. Think of the meat in our text with that simple rubric. In the idol's temple, you could not say, I will partake of this meat to the glory of the triune God. Could you? No, it's a simple test, isn't it? But after buying it at the meat market, absolutely so. Absolutely say it. And that's a simple test. But remember, you are to also be filled with the word so you can actually do these things with understanding. Still much to consider and liberty of conscience. We'll also deal with the weaker brother and scandal. You know, the weaker brother doctrine is important because there is, I believe as R.C. Sproul once preached a sermon on the tyranny of the weaker brother. I thought that was a, a quite interesting idea and it's something that we have to also grasp. But until then, may the Lord keep our conscience captive to his word, doing all things to the glory of God. Amen. Let us arise for prayer. O gracious God of heaven, help us, O Lord, to know how to use things rightly, that we would know how to conduct ourselves all the days of our life, that we would know how we might best, whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, do it all to the glory of God. Help us, Lord, for we are in need of wisdom. Help us to, to walk in piety and charity and in purity, Lord. These are things that we deeply desire or we ought to desire so that we can have a good account to give unto our Lord when we come before thee in glory, knowing that we will have to give an account for all that we have done in this life. So help us, Lord, to not be abusers of good things, neither to make statements that what God has made good is evil in itself. O oh Lord, forgive us for when we have erred in these things and we have all erred one way or another. Help us to know that all things are lawful for us. However, help us never to be mastered by anything except for Jesus Christ. May he be the master of our conscience and our soul and our body. And may we be freed, O oh Lord, to serve him in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life before the fear of God. We ask in his name. Amen.